With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is the magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Mark Butcher will be joining us over Zoom later, as will Georgie Heath, who will be giving us an update on the Fairbreak Invitational out in Dubai. Um, Just before we started recording, the PCA released the following statement about Graham Thorpe. It read, Graham Thorpe has recently fallen seriously ill and is currently in hospital receiving treatment. His prognosis is unclear at this stage and we ask for privacy for him and his family at this time. Our thoughts are with Graham and his family. Um, Awful news. We echo those sentiments and we wish Graham a full recovery. Uh, when I spoke to Butch, who obviously spent the majority of his career playing with Thorpe at both Surrey and England, the news hadn't come through yet. First, let's talk about the county championship. Surrey and Hampshire were the only two sides to win in Division 1. They're currently first and second in the table, respectively. Lancashire have a game in hand in third place. They couldn't quite force a win on the final day against Warwickshire. There was also a high-scoring draw between Essex and and Yorkshire at Chelmsford. Um, on last week's show, Crickley's analyst Ben Jones talked about how he still reckoned Dom Sibley and Rory Burns were the best two openers available for England selection in the country. They both scored hundreds. Sibley carried his bat against a very strong Lancashire attack featuring Hassan Ali, Matt Parkinson, Tom Bailey, Luke Wood, etc. I watched quite a lot of this knock, and I know that people have talked about Sibley uh, working on his game through the winter. He's not had a big score yet. This was it. He carried his bat, um, but also you could see that he looks so different to when he played Test cricket. He's really side on, hit Hassan Ali through the covers quite a lot. Um, was his strengths were still his strengths, very comfortable leaving it, and he was very good through the leg side. Yeah, he was very good. You watch Rory Burns as well. He scored hundred here at the Oval. I, I did see that innings, yeah, and similar in a way to Sibley that Burns has gone away and looked at himself from a technical standpoint and fiddled on the margins a little bit and he says that himself uh, it's not quite as pronounced as I've said on this show before you know the, the, the pre-trigger movements the the head bob to mid-wicket as if he's suddenly seen a starling or something just fly across the pitch and not quite as pronounced as they were um, it's fair to say it wasn't a particularly fluent knock we, wa- well, yeah. we watched it here and he played and missed a lot outside our stump uncharacteristic kind of big swishes which you don't usually see from Burns um, maybe that's a confidence in his game that's kind of not coming out in necessarily the right way at the moment but obviously he, he ground out as he's made a career out of and, and got to got to a century and you know I think there'd be none of us would be surprised if he plays for England this summer whether it's the first test or, or later on yeah absolutely I mean up, up until lunch he was he was a bit crabby uh, he needed a score Burns you know he hadn't passed 50 in any of the Previous games, um, I think Surrey played five games now, and I think his highest score was forty-four before that. That hundred. Same with Sibley. You know that they, they both needed a score, and it's a timely time to have got one. 
um, with what we gather the England squad to be announced this next week. Yeah. I thought um, the Sibley knock and the reaction around it was an interesting example of the impact of these live streams. And we've talked on the pod before that Lancashire have already gone all in with the mm. kind of proper production with Bumble involved. Bumble's on there talking about Sibley looking a better player than he ever did when he was playing for England. You know, wisdom.com turned that into a story. We're talking about it now. It does the rounds and much quicker. That's not to say this wouldn't reach the England camp in, in previous years. Of course it would. But these things become a narrative much more quickly. And I think I think it means that things can change much more quickly as well. Sibley can go from being yesterday's man to being the man in potentially in possession by the first test if he gets another 100 um, because it's not just the runs it's that people are talking about him and what he's changed and what he's worked on over the winter um, and I think yeah that's something we haven't really had in county cricket until the last couple of years that's a, that's a really good point because a few years ago we're describing 200s there you guys who watched the, the Burns 100 saying that it was he found life a little bit difficult at certain points I'm saying the Sibley 100 was brilliant a few years ago not that many people could have made comments on both of those innings. You're, you're either one or the other. Um, yeah. Or, or they're just scores in the and, you know, and players, in the players themselves say, well, it's a double-edged sword, you know, mm. because when, when, when you play well, then you have people people watching you, but yeah. you can't say, oh, I got a good one today <laughs> anymore. You can't go home to, to your, you know, your dad or your wife or your kids or whatever and say, oh, yeah, I couldn't have played that one when... When you know, it was just an average delivery outside off stump. And you can't say you had a shocker every week as well because it's, no, it's there in front no, of you. No, no, indeed, indeed. I mean, you've, you've, you've spoken about the numbers, haven't you, around streaming? Mm. And I think more needs to be looked into that, I think, generally from, a, from our perspective as, as, as hacks. Um, and you've said yourself that while the services are improving and excellent in certain places and improving in others still the numbers aren't necessarily driving home the benefits that they, they, they can offer yeah, in mean, terms of building the game up and putting it more in, in the shot window. Yeah, I mean, two two things. One, yeah, I, I don't think the numbers are that good yet. Uh, there were 580 people watching a free live stream of the New England captain batting in his fourth county championship match in five years. When he hit 34 runs in and over, which we'll get to later, there were a couple of thousand people, maybe 3,000 people watching a totally free live stream that anyone could watch in the world. But at the same time, the benefits for those who do watch it are so great that it opens it up to a new a new group of county fans. People have emailed the show before saying like, what do you do if you're nowhere near a county? You can now watch it for, for free, which is a really good thing. Oh, and, and they uh, are clipped up, though. Sorry, well, the, that's what I was exactly going to say. The, right. the live stream figures themselves, that's only part of the story, isn't yeah. it? People at work, uh, however little work you do, <laughs> it's quite hard to sit there and actually just watch a live stream unless you're working from home. Whereas the amount of people who watch those clips, the amount of people who will have watched Stokes hit his seven, was it 17 sixes that he yeah. hit? That will be enormous, and that's that's still doing a really good thing for county cricket, even if people aren't sitting there watching the whole of the lunch session before mm. the first session before lunch. Yeah, because they haven't got much to do at work. No, that's that's definitely true. That's definitely true. There's a bit of news from Essex. Wicketkeeper bat Adam Weeter has announced that he will retire from the game at the end of the season. How old did you say? Thirty-two. Yeah. Um, he's had a very good career. Averages more than thirty-five with the bat, and part of this very successful era at Chelmsford. Uh, in the game at Chelmsford, uh, a couple of hundreds for Alistair Cook. The first time he's ever scored hundreds in both innings of a first-class match, which I couldn't believe. Is it really? Uh, yeah. Um, They're struggling, though. Yes, I was going to say, I tip them for the title. What, what's going on? Um, well, the, last year was the, was problems with the bat, mm. scoring runs from top to bottom. And the same, again, is applying here. Cook has played well in patches. 
I'm not saying these are easy hundreds, but the first hundred he made against Kent on day one, Brown made another hundred as well at the other end, and it was a pretty pea shooter style attack, to be honest. Um, and these two hundreds that he's just made in this game, just gone, were important in the context of saving the game, um, uh, or rather setting the game up, if you like, in the first innings. But the second innings was a kind of a dead game hundred, you know, which is not to denigrate it, but. Um, his form has been in isolation, really. Obviously, Lawrence got injured. He's pulled a hamstring and wasn't really playing, wasn't putting the runs on the board beforehand. Wesley has a bit, been a bit in and out. They brought Paul Walter in, who's about eight feet six. He's tall, been a star, hasn't he? Tall Paul. I, I and, love Paul Walter. Yeah, well, he's, <laughs> he's one of these cricketers that it's hard to define because he started as a sort of left-arm seamer. Then he became a sort of stodgy batter, but... Quite batter. an important one. Stodgy batter kept... who can whack it miles, miles and miles. Anyway, he finally made his first 100 last week. Um, he's made a couple of 80s and 90s in the past. Got a good record. He has got a good record, but there are, they've been very in and out. Brown has struggled since mm. he made that 100 on the day one. And they're just not putting the runs on the board, Essex, really. Rossington has come in um, as the keeper, which is why I think Weeter has maybe decided to call it a day. Critchley's been a bit in and out again. And weirdly, Simon Harmer can't take a wicket. Mm. So I don't know what his figures are, his stats are, but every time I look up, Harmer's naught for 70, one for 85. He's 200, two for 150 this week. Yeah, there you go. And, and yet the majority have been played at Chelmsford where, mm. you know, obviously traditionally they would prepare pitches to suit him. Naturally, it's early season. Um, but it's problems... Yeah, alarm bells for Essex, to be honest, uh, because the the tried and trusted formula that's worked for them over the last few years is not really playing out at the moment. Still early days. Um, the, the the team that's impressed me the most, I think, is is probably Lancashire. But again, if you if you pick those, you, you name those three or four sides that were up the top: Yorkshire, Lancashire, Surrey, Hampshire. They are four very good cricket teams, um, and you know they stand they stand stand up against any of the good, good cricket sides, any of the good county sides for, of this century, I think, really. I think the standard at the top is as good as it's been in a long time. I think the quality of the overseas players well, has, a, has a part in Two that. overseas. Two mm. overseas players make such a massive difference. And this influx of Pakistanis as well, like really high, really high, world-class players coming in, uh, in in both divisions as well. I think just, yeah, the, the strength and depth in, in the two divisions is, is really strong at the moment just on that Essex Yorkshire game was another 100 for Harry Brook who now averages about 150 in Division 1 we'll talk about him more later there's an 87 for Dawid Milan as well in Division 2 Ben Stokes had some fun it was just his fourth county championship match in five years he hit 161 of 88 deliveries a knock that included an all-time county championship record of 17 sixes in an innings he hit 18 year old left arm spinner Josh Baker for 34 and over the last ball of that over bouncing about 10 feet just inside the rope um that was that was good fun to watch and there was I think I think Rory Dollard the journalist he was there for the first day of that game where Stokes did nothing and then he wasn't there for the second day still prompted Kevin Peterson to call for the the culling of all county cricket basically it's a very unfortunate situation we found ourselves in when anyone does anything good then it's immediately turned into a negative because to be able to do it in the first place only shows that county cricket is so poor. It's a really depressing starting point for anything. And also, his point was that, you know, this Worcestershire side is so, so bad that anyone could have scored those runs, right? Or, you know, you didn't have to be that good a player to smash them around. Well, that Worcestershire side drew the game. They weren't wiped. It's not, they weren't playing like a university team. They were playing on a very good pitch, sure, but that's also what we've asked for, right? 
So it's just oh. sometimes you just feel like county cricket really can't win. Whatever happens, yeah. there will be a way. Pro- promising left arm spinner, given a go early on. You know, all the all these things are meant to be laudable things, and and you're meant to be playing against the best, right? Yeah. So you know he's got absolutely yeah. spanked, Josh Baker, but hey, that's probably going to stand him in good stead. I mean, you know, it, it could break him, but more than likely it will stand him in good stead. And he's had experience of playing against the best. And, and Stokes has done similar to this against, what, Australia, South Africa, West Indies, you name them. Peterson quite often tweets things that I don't think are that well thought through and he puts them on Twitter. They're deliberately provocative. And you can just get so used to them, you, you kind of ignore them. But this one actually irritated me. I think it was really irresponsible for him. He's a pundit who gets paid a lot of money to give views on cricket. He should know, before he tweets that out, that Worcestershire are missing three first team regulars no Dylan Pennington no Charlie Morris uh, and no Josh Tung this was not Worcestershire's first choice team and all those points of course he wouldn't but he shouldn't be he shouldn't be be tweeting that out without that knowledge and also as Joe you say Worcestershire end up drawing that game so and Ben Stokes who with with a brilliant unbeaten 100 from a young lad called Jack Haynes Jack Haynes yeah people think a lot of yeah but but that's that doesn't come under Peterson's nose, mm. you know, because he's, he's he's only interested in, in in himself. Ben Stokes went wickerless in that game as well, you know, and he bowled we, a lot of overs as exactly. Well, by the way. And we know that Ben Stokes is a very good bowler at test level, so yeah, that that annoyed me. There were a couple of hundreds in that game for Sean Dixon, who's now the leading run scorer in the country. I think that's the first time I've ever mentioned Sean Dixon. Right, on who the had him for a thousand runs? <laughs> <laughs> well, he uh, got he got about a third of them in one knock a few years ago, didn't yeah. he? He got a triple century. Yeah, almost got Kent's record score. Seems a very odd player in that he seems to have quite streaks where he doesn't get any runs at all, and then when he gets in, he's just impossible to get out. Exactly this. So I think I, I saw a stat a couple of years ago when he was still at Kent, where he's got an unbelievable record once he gets to twenty. So one of the best records in the country. Just he has a lot of lot of failures in there too. A bit like me. Um, <laughs> how many triple unders have you got? He is a South African born opener who is now thirty, and yeah, as Joe mentioned, uh, has a first class triple hundred to his name from his time at Kent. Um, you interviewed Matty Potts from Durham, did, who's yeah. probably the standout quick so far from English quick from the second division. Yeah, I mean, arguably in both divisions, it's his third six foot of the summer. All of them have been in really high-scoring games. He takes a lot of wickets that are bold or LBW, gets top order bat- batters out. He's very interesting to speak to. So he broke into the Durham first team at about 18. He was quite skinny, quite wiry. He's put on a lot of weight, muscle. Where, um, he's injured in 2017, 18. And he's now, he's not rapid, rapid. He probably bowls about 83, 84, 85 miles per hour. But his just attitude about how to bowl on flat wickets is just quite encouraging and good to hear. He says you've got to get absolutely everything that the pitch has to offer. Hit the pitch really hard. He's learnt from bowling with Cass, Wood and Stokes um, at Durham, as well as Rushworth, who helped him um, develop his, his, his wobble scene balls. I think, I think he's really exciting. I've read in the Times that he was a non-travelling reserve for the T20 series in West Indies. So I wouldn't be surprised if he plays in that Netherlands ODI series that takes place during the New Zealand Test Series. Um, he's only 23, so he's a couple of years younger than Fisher and Mahmood. So I think he's definitely one to watch. Yeah, it feels like he's been around for a little while already. He's played a lot of T20 cricket, hasn't he? And yeah, I spoke to Scott Borthwick, Durham's captain, before the start of the season uh, for a general piece about Durham. And he picked out uh, Potts and said he has never seen... I mean, but Borthwick's been playing for what, kind of 12 years or so now. He's never seen anyone work harder in training, never seen a fitter county cricketer. So he just gives it absolutely everything. And that's a bloke who's played a lot of cricket with Ben Stokes, who's kind of a, a legendary trainer 
Um, so he's obviously got plenty about him. It'll be interesting to see if he can make that step up. Those figures against Worcestershire in that match were extraordinary. He had a spell against Knotts where, again, Knotts scored loads of runs, but he's got, I think, the first four wickets to fall and three of them were bold. Like he's getting good players out. He's, he's very, very exciting, I think. Anna asks, listening to last week's podcast and the lengthy conversation on potential England openers, Sam Robson didn't even get a passing mention. I realise it was before his latest big score, but I'm just emailing in to check he's not a ghost or a figment of my imagination. We weren't um, on the show, Joe. We weren't on the show. And also, Ben picked Sam Robson out as one of his ones to watch for the season. And I think you weren't here. Okay. Yes. And I gave okay. him a load of grief for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there was more that we, we kind of know what Sam Robson's about. So mm. it was a slightly odd one to watch. Uh, to pick out apart from the fact you know those opening slots are still very much up for grabs as, as we'll come on to um, he did very well in a very poor Middlesex side last year he's now doing well in a good Middlesex side that's top division two um, in defence and our defence to, to, to Anna which is a reasonable point Robson hadn't got 100 until this 100 and, and we can confirm that he's not a ghost as well we can confirm yeah. he's not a ghost absolutely he, he is one of the many though that you do wonder what could have happened if if England had stuck by them a little bit longer, given them another series, I think Adam Live falls into that category as well. You know, players have their moments, but they're quite fleeting. And once your moment has gone, then it's very, very hard to to come back into the conversation. Um, and then you, you players tend to settle into the perception or the persona, if you like, that, that we've created for them. Um, somebody like Live, to me, had the had the ability to to make a make a mark, and Robson. At the time, people were very excited about Sam Robson as a, as a as a player with the technical components to play back foot cricket. Obviously, having grown up in Australia, um, and before we knew it, I mean, he made a hundred, didn't he? But and then before we knew it, he was gone. He averaged thirty. And yeah, this <laughs> is it. And kill for that now, wouldn't we? This is it. And back, but back then, there was that sense where we have, if not an embarrassment of riches, then then we have plenty to pick from, and so. The, the window of chance is was smaller than, than, than it appears to be now. Uh, and so there's a number of these players that, that carry with them a question mark, what, what could have been, and I think he's definitely one of them. Robson was, he was particularly unfortunate because he, when he finished his second series of the summer here, was it against India? Yeah. There wasn't an assumption that he would be dropped, but England didn't actually play another test match for, for a long time, didn't play until the Caribbean the next February or March, I think. By which time Lyde had stacked up 100 after 100 for Yorkshire and Trot had come back on the scene. So Robson wasn't so much kind of axed as just sort of pushed to one side. It was, it was slightly different to other openers who you'd get to the point where you just think they're not going to score test runs at the moment. We've got, to, we've got to move them on. So I think he has been a bit lucky. He's also, I've chatted to him quite a bit over the years, he is one of the nicest cricketers out there. And I don't know if that has necessarily helped him. He's, he's very self-effacing. He talks openly about the struggles he had in test cricket. Whereas normally players say, you know, are slightly bitter about what happened and, and are sort of plainly desperate for another chance. I'm sure Robson is desperate for another chance, but he was very considered in why he got dropped. He, I don't see any interviews of him saying, I'm desperate to open the batting for England again, because I don't think that's really his character. But Pete Hanscom is uh, captain at Middlesex, um, the Aussie international is banging the drum for Robson, said it's absolutely time for another conversation about him. Mm. So I hope that does I, it, Anna. I, yeah, well, we, I, we haven't forgotten about him. Well, I saw him, he scored 100 on the opening game of last season against Somerset. I thought he'd, he'd look like a test player in that against a really good Somerset attack. 
in in kind of England's defence of why he's not played since he first played in 2014, he's just not put together an amazing season. He's had lots of seasons where he's averaged about 40. And that, that's just probably not enough to kind of get your name back truly in the conversation. He's not made selectors really sit back and, and notice what he's done. Uh, maybe maybe he can do it that this season, but I feel like I think we had a similar conversation about him last summer, and I think he just needs to needs to score a couple more hundreds to really get 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 his name um, there. I mean, his his not this week by the way was brilliant. He scored 149 as Middlesex chased 370 from 74 overs at Hove. Uh, runs for Hanscom, Holden and Anderson as well in that run chase. Poor old Sussex though. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even think it was that generous a declaration. No, you know, not, 370 not, they, off 74 overs. They yeah, need to go pretty much Just an five. absolute belter of a pitch at home, yeah. which is exactly what Ian Salisbury has called for and he thinks that's the way you're going to produce cricketers, but it, it does leave you open to this kind of thing, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. they, they got some criticism for that declaration, which I thought was very harsh. Yeah, they, they're, they're trying to you know, bring forward pressure cricket. They're trying to put their young kids in difficult situations. Uh, and they're also trying to put on a show on a Sunday afternoon when the sun's out at Hove. That, as you say, that declaration, you know, is hardly kind of kamikaze stuff, was it? Uh, and all right, you know, if they're lacking a little bit in the bowling side, then then so be it, you know. You still have to try and live a little, you know. And, and I thought that the criticism that came their way, I said, do you sometimes wonder just what people want from this game? You know, what what... If they'd batted on through the afternoon, then they'd have got slated for that as well. Yeah. You know. They they declared when they were four down in the second innings with Pajara unbeaten on 170, his fourth hundred. Well, he might have got a summer. thousand that afternoon <laughs> yeah, yeah, if he yeah. was allowed to carry on. Um, Ollie Robinson returned to the side in that game, his first game of the season. He took a five in the first innings and a couple in the second innings. So, so what's been wrong with him? Some dental problem? Yeah, genuinely. That, that kept him out of the, the two games before that. So, do you know any more than that? Uh, no, other than it was something to do with his teeth. Right. <laughs> that's not more, that's just that's the same more, repackaged no, no. information. Um, Toothless yeah, attack. But, but when, when, people say, when people say that Robinson's got, his fit, got fitness issues, he, he may well do, but that's not why he's not been playing this season. <laughs> okay. Elsewhere in the country, there was a win for Glamorgan over Leicester in Cardiff. Uh, solid all-round team performance runs for Carlson and North East. Middlesex are currently top. Glamorgan are in second, having played a game more than Knott's in third and a game more than Mickey Arthur's Derbyshire, who are in fourth, doing pretty well at the moment. Phil, lots of lots of runs still. Is it the pitches, the weather, or is it the balls? Yeah, nicely done. So I played my first game on Saturday, Yaz, and we used the same Dukes balls that they use in county cricket, and I could not believe what, I was, what, I, what was in my hand. Did I mention this to you, Joe? It's amazing. It's, it's, like, it's like those wind balls. Remember those orange wind balls where there's a... Like a, a tiny little dent. apology yeah, of a yeah, yeah. Yeah, a dent yeah. going round the round the middle of it, uh, and that is the extent of the seam. I could not believe it. Now in in our game, whatever you know, it's just silly cricket. But uh, these balls are uh, possibly fit for purpose as replicas, if you like, of Kookaburra cricket balls. But uh, they can only be a key reason why we are seeing scores go north. And this is not necessarily a criticism, but it was really stark. We, we've always used Duke's cricket balls at our level, uh, and they are di- completely, the components are completely different. You know, obviously the proud seam on previous Duke's balls has been completely or almost entirely eradicated. Uh, so this, is, this has to be a very, very 
key reason. And this was the exact ball that they're using in Championship yeah, cricket. Yeah, Duke's, Duke's ball, Championship standard right. Duke's balls. Yeah, mm. it's um, amazing. There's a report in the Times that said pretty much exactly the same thing. Right. And I spoke to someone at um, one of the counties who said very similar as well. So yeah. Yeah, it, it does sound like that is one of the reasons. Yeah, it's certainly as well, consciously, um, groundsmen are... Well, firstly, it's... It's easier, I think, to prepare pitches at the start of the season because you have a bigger run up to mm. it, and you can plan how you you plot your square. Uh, and certainly, the evidence at the Oval and elsewhere has been that um, a little bit more life has been injected into these pitches, which produces good cricket. Um, the games here at the Oval have been superb, uh, and no doubt about it. This is this is. I mean, it's a boring and hackneyed point, but this is absolutely essential to the. To, to the to the future of, of Red Bull cricket at domestic level, international level, and world level, get the tracks right. Key, Rob Key was saying this um, in a very interesting interview that Nasser Hussain got with him on Sky. I don't know if you've seen this. Have you seen it, Joe? No. So I saw it last night. Really, really well worth a watch. I imagine it will be um, available as a as a podcast or vodcast as well for people who don't have Sky. Um, and Key's very polished, of course, and he's a natural broadcaster, of course. But he was—he was—he didn't duck any of the questions either, and he was very good and upfront about it. And again, he was talking about the pitches, you know, and just how central they are. And he wasn't bagging them either. He wasn't because it's too easy, I think, in the media to say, "Oh, pitches are terrible," you know, the butch line. Uh, it's a bit more complicated than that. And groundsmen have a tough job, but uh, getting through to producing pitches with life is absolutely the be all and end all I think to producing good cricket good cricket because it's not that there is a complete dearth of talent out there but if you are flogging yourself on dead tracks or overly juicy tracks then it produces in the end cricket that is ill-fitting for for the highest highest levels yeah and can I do my moment moment of the week yeah it sort of ties into this so um I chatted to Daniel Bell Drummond at Kent uh who I've always found a fascinating cricketer's was talked about from his teens as going to be... I think Rob Key actually tipped him for 100 test caps. and uh, Bell Still might then. <laughs> Still, he's 28, <laughs> so I better get cracking. He's really tall. Yeah. He's only 28. Very wow. talented player. Um, and he was named Wisden Schools Cricket of the Year in... I can't remember what year. So he... To put it bluntly, hasn't really achieved what was expected of him. But he was interesting about this because... He says, actually, looking at his career, he wouldn't take any of his seasons back because in every season bar one, he has been delighted with the way he's gone in Red Bull or White. What he's struggled to do is do both at the same time. And that, he's not alone in, in that. 2016, he had a stunning season. He scored 2,000 runs just under in all competitions, averaged 50 and above in all three competitions, averaged 64 in the championship. So, you know, he'd, he'd be playing for England if he'd done that at the right time. Um, since then he's done one or the other so last two years he was the top English run scorer in the blast last year as Kent won the title year before that he was the top run scorer in the blast had two rubbish Red Bull seasons and he said with a bit of frustration I'm kind of judged as a Red Bull player because that's what I was thought about so people talk about my Red Bull slump but they don't really talk about how well he's going in white ball partly because those England spots aren't really available now at the start of this season he scored 200s, uh, one against a very, very good Hampshire attack, 149 against a very good Hampshire attack, and he scored 100 at Headingley. Uh, and there is this sense that his record, I, I think, looking at his year-by-year -year record, I haven't done exactly the stats, is significantly better in Div 1 than it is Div 2. And he talks about losing faith in his technique, playing on not very good pitches, 
then the kind of demons get in your head and the whole thing unravels over a course of a season. Now, Kent are back in Division 1 after the kind of conference-based system and, yeah, he's reeled off a couple of hundreds. So there, there is some, you know, it's, it's an easy thing. People can say, well, he's making excuses and that, that wasn't really how it came across. He was acknowledging that he has failed himself to be as consistent as he wants to, but there are also reasons for it. And, you know, he's probably one of the most talented uncapped stroke makers in, in this country. Um, certainly in terms of talent, if not necessarily the numbers in Red Bull. Um, but he's, I, I he's still think, right I think unwittingly you you might have touched on again why he possibly didn't get a go. Firstly, bad luck, bad timing. Timing is so much a part of this. You're talking earlier about Robson and Ben Duckett is another one who, you know, timing was a bit off for him and now he's scoring good runs. But I think you touched on it. Stroke maker, opening batsman, wristy, stroke maker. Also not at a so-called big club. So not making consistently high-profile runs, but a stroke maker. And there has always been that sense with Bell Drummond that if he, if he gets in, you want to watch him right up there as a player to watch. But because we have these kind of rather dull preconceptions about what English cricketers need to look like and play like in whichever positions they happen to find themselves in, there's, there's that kind of sense with Bell Drummond, probably unfairly, but that, you know, he's he's a there's a there's a flightiness to him, there's a wristiness to him um, that might not be the right kind of minerals for Test match cricket and all of that. But the but the record, as you say, is is considerably stronger than many players who have got the go. Yeah, I actually can't believe he's 28. Yeah, I mean, through <laughs> I, I me as well. Can't believe, I, I would have presumed he's 31, 32. He's been around for years. And I think what you say for has been reflected. He's moved up and down the order in Red Bull. Right, yeah. They've tried him as a sort of mid-order stroke maker because that maybe that suits his kind of game a bit better. He started the season as an opener, failed a couple of times, as now at three. Um, okay, right. So this is he's at three now. Yeah, okay. which he said he's comfortable with. But, I mean, he, he is traditionally an opener but yeah. he probably hasn't mm. necessarily got the kind of game that you need to be an opener in English conditions mm. if he took the no step one does. up <laughs> well, yeah, who does yeah who does Darrell Mitchell everyone's a number five he's, he's obviously doing uh, as you say had a couple of really good blasts recently but I wonder if he falls into the category a bit like Duck actually where his best format might be 50 over cricket so he's not actually getting the opportunity to he's certainly to, got yeah. he's certainly got a good record in that yeah, yeah. Um, and just going back to your point on pitches Phil Going back to pots, I think the pitches at the moment, or whether it's the balls or the pitches, take wickets. The proper bowlers who could do a job in Test cricket, I think, yeah. are standing out. And I think, yeah. you know, look, the two leading wicket takers in the country, Potts and Hassan Ali. You got some really high quality bowlers up there, and a lot of the guys, uh, your usual suspects, I guess, who've been averaging about fifteen in the last few years, haven't been doing quite as well this season. Well, Darren Stevens um, been dropped by Kent, wasn't he? Yeah, I was about to come on to Stevens actually. Kent played a first class game this week against a Sri Lanka development eleven who are over here touring and Darren Stevens, age forty six, hit hundred and sixty eight is thirty eighth first class hundred. Yeah, I wasn't sure how I felt about this game. <laughs> how old are these Sri Lankans? Uh young. Only one first class debut. Right, um, okay. They're not an A team, but they're not just kids either. Um mm. anyway, over at the Wisdom shop we felt it was the right time to acknowledge Darren Stevens's remarkable career so we've launched a t-shirt and poster called the curious case of Darren Stevens available exclusively at the wisdom shop head to wisdom.com forward slash shop to check that out Phil what was your moment of the week uh I've got loads but I'll just take one Mark War was the, was the one I was going for Mark War <laughs> yeah uh my all-timer 
you know, my my north, my south, my east, my west, Mark War, uh, who I first saw bat in 1989 as a nine-year-old kid. I was, and I saw him bat Chelmsford when he was playing uh, a bemulleted young Mark War playing for Essex. He hadn't yet played international cricket. Um, he joined Essex, I think, as a 21 or two-year-old in 1988, took over from Alan Border, and he was my first real cricket crush, if you like. Um, and since then, of course, you know, he had a great, great career, uh, 120 odd test matches for Australia. Um, the greatest slip fielder of all time, uh, certainly right up there, uh, wore his collar up, wore his, wore his, uh, cable knit at all times, um, and was a dream to watch, you know, and, and a few players have got near to him, but Probably as a right-handed player, no one's quite touched the levels that he he, he reached. Uh, so an objectively beautiful cricketer and brilliant cricketer, but also something that was quite a bloke that's quite special to me, really. Anyway, at midnight on Sunday night, uh, him and I had a chat over the phone. Um, he's in over in Sydney, and I wouldn't say I was nervous, but I was a bit apprehensive uh, because. He, he sort of has a reputation. He doesn't suffer falls, and I probably am one, and I certainly am one at midnight on a Sunday night. Uh, but it was a really good conversation that we had, and we had a chat for about 40 minutes or so. Um, it was a lot about the Essex years. So he played in that incredibly successful side that Gooch ran. I think he won certainly won two championships. Um, and then we spoke about his, his time through the 90s playing for Australia as well and so it was a classic sort of nostalgia trip but there was some interesting stuff as well about the game today and about about the test match game and how it it needs to grow uh, and survive and so on and so on so it was not a particularly revelatory interview but it was just a special thing for me you need to stop saying that about the interviews you've done you said that I can't remember what the last one was as well you need to say they are revelatory even if they're not that's that's how that's how it works it was it was revelatory to me just to hear the <laughs> bloke's voice, and and I asked him about style actually, uh, and I just didn't believe him because I've I've asked cricketers this about style before those who have it, and they always say it's a, it's accidental, but I've never believed anyone less than Mark War, and he was talking about growing up with Stephen Stephen as he calls him always Stephen, and he said that his brother Stephen. He got increasingly pissed off with it because Steve War became pigeonholed as crabby, functional was the actual word that he used, and rigid was the other word that Mark War used. And he said, and I got I got labelled as the sort of elegant, lazy one, and all of that. But you could hear in his voice that now all the dust has settled, and Steve War might have his average at fifty, and Mark War might have his average at forty-two. But we know who's won that battle in the end. We know that Junior has taken that, taken the, the plaudits, and you could hear it in his voice. And I just sort of let him speak, and then said, "I don't believe you." And then he just sort of giggled and laughed. And yeah, you, you say that though, saying saying that Mark won, but a lot of particularly younger listeners they look at the record, people talk about Steve more what Mark but, but, doesn't come up on Sky commentary discussions as much as Steve does and yeah he's, he's yeah, not remembered but, but, but again this is this is when we fall into the trap of just looking at raw numbers uh, at the expense of, of the real the real stuff the poetry the artistry uh, Mark Waugh was, was yeah was a dreamboat cricketer and also made a lot more tougher runs than he's often given credit for you know he made proper fourth innings runs uh, 
What he didn't do was go big. He made a lot of hundreds, um, but he just didn't didn't go big. He never he made one hundred and fifty in Test cricket. And considering you're batting four for Australia in the greatest team ever made, you should at least be selfish at some point. But he just didn't. He made lots and lots of hundreds, adorning innings where others went big. Uh, I mean, you know, Shane Warne used to call Steve all the most selfish cricketer ever made, you know, which is meant as a criticism, but also a sort of backhanded compliment, I suppose. It's also a stunning one-day opener as well, wasn't he? In a way that I don't know if necessarily gets the credit, because people always right. talk about Gilchrist, Jairus Zaria, but, but he was doing pretty much the same thing and right. decide that won pretty much every game. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, he made 300s in the 96 World Cup. He, him and Gilchrist changed the game along with obviously Jaya Saria. You know, they opened the batting for Australia and, and did things that people weren't really doing. And War was one of the greats. He also um, hit the biggest sixes of them all. Now, again, you, you wouldn't have associated Mark War with hitting big sixes necessarily, but Ian Healy says... Mark War always hit the biggest sixes and there is some footage of him hitting one, I forget what ground it is in Australia, it might be Perth, but he hits, I think, Daniel Vittori out of the ground and, you know, it's, it's a legendary shot. And again, it was all touch, all touch and timing. He was, he was you know, he was well built, but he wasn't a big bloke as such, but just a joy. So I interviewed him on Sunday night, I interviewed Marnus, Marnus Lavashane on Thursday or so last week. That was good fun, a really interesting bloke actually. Um, Makings of a good top four there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of which appear in the upcoming issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly. It comes out next week. Mm. On, on War, is there your, your love of Dan Lawrence? That's totally unrelated to your love of Mark War. There's, there's no overlap there. There's probably some sort of shared sensibility. Yeah, I think so. Um, but 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 my my love for Dan Lawrence is is based as much on his personality as his as his ever watchably flaky um, stylings at number four or five. Uh, uh, yeah, there's there's probably some sort of theme at work there. Yeah, but just briefly on Labashane, you know, it, a lot of layers at work there in a, in a player that is easily sort of pigeonholed, I think, and maybe slightly lampooned, uh, but. Really engaging fella, spoke very interestingly about the role that his faith plays in his, in his cricket and how he, he feels in effect that something beyond his control is at work, um, a form of destiny if you like, uh, that is if not controlling his career then certainly something is at work beyond the, the trajectory of, of simple runs and wickets. Um, he spoke very interestingly about about that, and uh, and also more straightforwardly about his utter obsession with the game. And again, it struck me that the really, really, really good players, sure, they have amazing hand-eye coordination and all the rest of it, but they have to live the thing. And he does. And he says he gets withdrawal symptoms if he doesn't bat. He says he can't cope with it. He says if he has a week off, then that's enough, and he's he needs to get back, needs to get and have a hit. I spoke to his coach as well, Neil DaCosta, who's very interesting on him. And, and he said when he first found, first came across Marlis Labashane, he was working, um, he was a part-time cricketer. He lost his contract at Queensland. He was a part-time cricketer and he had a sugar addiction. Uh, he had some, some form of attention deficit. Uh, he had very highs, very, very big highs, very low lows. Uh, and was... Um, 
unhealthy, in effect, mentally unhealthy. And Da Costa got hold of him and they drew up a, a new approach, a, a new physical approach, in effect, that he would hope would then bleed into his cricket, which, which took place... Um, uh, and this idea of a sugar 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 addiction it's a quite it's not particularly well discussed you know especially in, in sport but he said he 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 had great metabolism so it didn't show in his body but he would have real concentration problems um, and he would shoot high and then he would nosedive and he kept getting to thirty odd on a buzz after three three teas in his coffee before he goes out there and then hitting a low and then he couldn't concentrate and then he was just kept getting out at grey cricket level, kept getting out and out and out after an hour's batting, having played really well up to that point. And so they addressed all of that at that point. And now you've got to bear in mind, this is the number one player in the world, number one test player in the world, who was stri- striving to get back on the, on the circuit at 21. He'd lost his contract at Queen- Queensland. He was out. He was done. He was part-time working. So he's playing test cricket not that long after. And then playing test cricket four or four years later and then the number one player in the world six years later. So remarkable story, really. Um, and, he, and he told it really well. It was a tough one to get hold of, as Joe will know. I mean, Yeah, I was, he really made you work for it. It was kind of like, uh, just he was just leaving you alone repeatedly, wasn't he? <laughs> every, every time you called. No letting, run. Letting it pass off stump. <laughs> but you, 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 I think you probably, you might have thought, because I kept having to say to you, no, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. That possibly I'm, I'm used was, to that. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but possibly that he was, he was, you know, as you cricketers of a certain level, they maybe play you, play you a little bit, you know. Um, but there wasn't any sense of that with him. It's just that he was living his life at 100 mile just an hour. Busy batting. This is it. Yeah. And, and we, just, we finally got it. Got each other. Just to add as well, that that Labuschagne interview is part of a feature on the the next Fab Four as we as we've identified them. Now we won't reveal them all. You can probably guess another one of them. But, you uh, won't we, guess the fourth. We can, we, yeah, we can discuss that in a bit more depth um, next week. You can tell us how silly we are. But that's been quite fun to put together. England are reportedly selected their squad for the first New Zealand test after the upcoming round of county championship fixtures. I spoke to Mark Butcher earlier to get his thoughts about who he'd like to see in that first squad. But in the next week or so, England, currently without both the head coach and a national selector, will be selecting a squad for the first test of the summer against New Zealand. It's reported to be a 17-man squad, which is a lot for a home series. We know that Root's going to bat four. We know that Stokes is going to bat six. We know that Broad and Anderson are likely going to be back if they're fit. Who would you like to see come in from a batting point of view so to occupy slots at three, occupy a slot at five? Um, well, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not sure that three and five are the only places that are open, are they? Um, you know, Zach Crawley's finished off after after making the, the, the 100 um, in the Caribbean and Antigua, sort of finished off pretty miserably in the, uh, in the in that series and has not got off to a fabulous start um, at the beginning of the, the... Well, in fact, that's understatement of the year. He's averaging 17, I think, in the, in the championship so far. So, you know, there is a, there's an argument to say that, um, that, that somebody else should be walking out and opening the batting with, uh, with, with Alex Leeds at the beginning, presuming um, that, he, uh, that he maintains his spot on the side, which I think he should. Um, I think he certainly deserves another, another five or six test matches to go with the three that he played in, in the West Indies. So, um, okay, so, so what are we looking at? I mean, Harry, Harry Brooks gone off like a, like, a, like a house on fire for Yorkshire. What's he averaging? 150 or something. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely in form. Uh, Darren Milan 
would be the obvious, um, you know, going back to kind of things that I've said over the past in terms of, you know, making making the England, England team sort of more resilient, less brittle or whatever. David Milan's got off to, to a fabulous start. He'd be the, 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 the perfect fit, I suppose, at number three, if you didn't want to throw one of the youngsters, either sort of uncapped players like Bahannon or, or, um, or Brook into that, that spot at number three. So I would have no issue with that. Um, and at number five, I mean, you know, it's difficult to, to say that Johnny Bairstow doesn't deserve to stay in that team. You know, it, it, he, he was very happy batting at six, I know, because I spoke to him in, in the Caribbean. But given that, uh, that his captain wants to, wants to bat there, Johnny would, be, uh, would have no issue, I suppose, in going up to batting at number five. And I, and I think, again, he deserves, he deserves to maintain that spot mm. in, in the team. Now, you know, there's going to be a lot of chat around, well, should we just go back to best? I'll keep him with him batting at seven and et cetera, et cetera. Now, and I'm sure that that will be something that will be on the table, um, albeit that um, it, it certainly wasn't Rob Key's f- favoured thing to do back in, back in the day. Uh, but I, but I think again, Ben Folks deserves his chance to start. He's averaging 100 in the championship with the bat. He didn't have a great time of it with the gloves in the Caribbean, which is a slight concern. But I still think that he deserves to get a run of Test matches at home. Mm. Um, and um, you know, and so 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 for me, he stays at seven. Best, I moves up to five. And so and some of those younger players have to have to wait it out a little bit longer to score score more runs. But, you know, I think that the two compelling cases really would be Bahana and Brooke at the moment. And, of course, you've got Ali Pope's averaging, averaging 60 again. You know, there, there are all of the, the usual suspects sort of bubbling around in that, in that batting lineup. You could, we could have quite a similar-looking top seven as we did in, in, the, in the Caribbean then. Yeah, you could. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, the, the whole thing, for me, the whole thing in the Caribbean, Joe Root moving up to, from four to three was an interesting one because that, that seemed to be, people seemed to like that because it made more room for, for other, other younger players to sort of to, to fill in around in the, in the slightly lower spots. But it was always my, my thought that, that Joe Root was doing that, not because he felt it was the best thing for Joe Root, but because he was trying anything that he possibly could to make the, to make the rest of the batting lineup work. I think we're, we're now back in a position where, where he is at number four. Um, and, and the other players have to come in, and uh, and um, you know, the, I, I'm still I'm still very much of the opinion that that more experience in that team is better than less. Um, you put you put you put inexperienced players into a winning team, not a losing one, and I, and and I stand by that. Just moving on to the to the bowlers, then Chris Wokes is reportedly going to miss the first test. At least he's not going to be fit enough for Warwick's next game in the county championship, and that's when the squads are going to be selected. Sam Curran's not really bowling for Surrey; he bowled a little bit earlier on in the season, but hasn't bowled since. Um, so we're going to have the same one of the same problems as we had last summer, where there's not really an obvious person to bat eight. Um, Ollie Robinson came into the side as someone who could potentially do that, but it's quickly become apparent that, that that number eight is at least one spot too high for him. Yeah. And there's no Moeen Ali in the test frame this summer. He, he was there last summer. So um, there's not an obvious spinner to, to occupy number eight. Who, who do you think should be in that group of bowlers, bearing in mind one, one of them is going to have to bat eight? Um, well, I'm not, I'm not too worried about number eight, to be honest. Um that again is going to have to be something that, that gets that gets sorted out from within once the once the best bowlers and best batters have been picked. Mm. Um, you know, again, we've we've tied ourselves up in knots for years trying to trying to pick the. the obviously, you don't want the sort of tail that we had back in 1999. <laughs> 
and so and some some listeners will remember what that looked like and others won't but I, I think Ed Giddens might not have been number 11 if give you an idea or, or Phil Tufnell might not have been number 11 that'll give you an idea um so you know like so Anderson and Broadback playing more than likely um I'd like to see Saqib Mamou keep his place in the side um I'd like to see Matt Parkinson given a given a go um just you know obviously Parkinson and um Jack Leach will, will end up being part of that 17-man squad. be fabulous after the start that Parkinson's had. In fact, the start he's had over the last couple of summers, really, in championship cricket, where he's, he's taken wickets um, and, and been, been reasonably economical as well, albeit with the odd, with the odd spell where he gets, where he gets taken. But, um, but I think he, he deserved it. And I think for, for, for England to have some sort of point of difference, and it isn't going to be extreme pace because obviously Mark Wood and, and Joffre Archer are not available at the moment. Um, you know, leg spin would be, uh, would be a great place to start. So, so I, you know, I, I don't think it's going to, again, it's not going to be wildly, um, wildly different from anything that we've seen, but it'd be fab- fabulous for Saki to get another test match. I think he was really impressive in the West Indies. Um, play alongside the, the, the two old stages. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Ollie Robinson is back playing again. But again, again he, you know, Craig Overton, who finished off in, in the Caribbean and was, was pretty ineffectual, I suppose, on, on those flat decks. But he started off like a house on fire with 22 wickets at 14. And, and out of the rest of them, he, he'd be a guy perhaps that, that might be able to get up to the dizzy heights of number eight. Um, but the whole thing's pretty imperfect at the moment, isn't it? Uh, and, you're, and, and what you're and what you're looking for is for some players to kind of to to be selected to be stuck with, but to stand up and actually and back up that um, that that faith that that hopefully mm. the new uh, the new regime will show in them over a period of time, and then you can start making informed decisions based on what on what is actually being done out in the middle, rather than guessing what what might happen um, uh, based on what's gone on in the championship at the beginning. A lot of people will be listening to this. I don't know what the right word is, but I guess they'd be hoping for you to have said more new names. England haven't done that well recently. And when when someone who hasn't played before comes in, there's an element of hope. You don't know much about them and you hope they might be better than they actually are. People don't watch a huge amount of county cricket. Even with the streams, people generally watch highlights rather than actually watching a whole day's play. And those highlights can be quite misrepresentative. So I guess it, it could be quite a difficult summer for England you've got a group of players who haven't won many test matches. It could be quite a similar group. I mean, Rob Key this week actually said that expect quite a similar group. New Zealand are a good side and it's a team that's lost a lot of test matches playing it's a side that's won a lot of test matches. So Rob Key and Ben Stokes, everyone seems to generally agree they've said most of the right things so far as, as captain and, and managing director, but things could quite quickly become quite difficult for them. They could, yeah. I mean, but if you look at what England have done over the last over the last five years or so, they've picked a hell of a lot of new players, a lot of new names, tons of them all over the place. Whether it be opening the batting, middle order, new bowlers, and none, and none of that has translated into the sort of consistency in terms of just simply in terms of simple results um, that that a, that a cricketing nation with the resources that we have would 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 reasonably expect. So, look, I I, I don't. I, I can fall into the same trap as a lot of other people with sort of like being excited about having people we've never seen before. But England, England are not looking for sort of like um, magical fixes. They're looking for a team that, is, that, that doesn't fall over and have its, have its tummy tickled every time it gets under pressure. That's what we're doing at the moment. Mm. You know, and, and, and if, if the people who have listened to the podcast before, I've been very, very consistent on this. You have to stop 
you have to stop being a pushover before you can start being exciting or you can start doing um, some of the more fun and, uh, and, uh, and indulgent things of, of picking, picking youngsters and, and throwing them all in and, and having them go out and, and try and score at four and over. And you know what I mean? All, all of that kind of stuff. It's, yeah. you, you have to run, you have to learn to walk before you can run. And England are very much in the, uh, in the walking extremely slowly stages at the moment. <laughs> thanks for your time Butch chat to you next week okay no problem on last week's show Ben Jones gave us the the data view on what the England top seven should look like I've asked Phil and Joe to pick 12 man squads even though it's been reported that there'll be up to 17 selected initially that's madness Uh, this this will be more fun this will be more (laughs) fun I think Joe let's start with you are they how similar are they by the way I haven't seen Phil's they're they're pretty similar they're pretty similar There, there are some yeah there are I mind mind the most different. Out, yeah, mine's an odd one out, I guess. But do you want to go first? Group think, Joe. What's well, the problem when you spend too much time together? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll try and remember off the top of my head. Uh, Crawley, Lees, Bahannon, Root, Brook, Stokes, Bairstow, Keeping, uh, and then the bowlers. This is we picked a twelve, so the pace bowlers are Anderson, Broad. Robinson, Saki Mahmood, and then Matt Parkinson is my spinner. Cool. Worth saying, by the way, Chris Wokes is, is uh, reported to miss the first Test match, and Sam Curran isn't yet bowling, so not. Yeah, not. I probably wouldn't have picked either of them, to be honest. But um, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I would have picked Wokes, but we're back to the same old problem of like yeah, my yeah, number yeah. eight is not going to be a number eight, so yeah. maybe I would have picked Wokes, but yeah. Phil. Well, I mean, my twelve is very similar to his. Where where does it differ? It differs only with the wicketkeeper. So, I've got folks in at seven. Uh, Besto still at the IPL. This is for the first test match. This is not for six test matches. This is for the first test match only. Uh, Besto's at the IPL, and according to Yorkshire, as far as they know, he's coming back at the end of Punjab's. Yeah, well done. <laughs> the, the end of the end of Punjab's campaign. They may yet steal their outsiders, but they may still yet qualify for the last four. But even so, he won't be back until the third third week well into the third week of may even if they don't make it through that's that gives him one game if he if he jumps off the plane straight onto the pitch but probably not that's a big if yeah it's a big if so almost certainly no cricket at all before that first test even if he was playing one game for me that's not enough even if he goes out there and and hits 70 80 on that that one game that's not enough we can't uh preach red ball form and then ignore it or rather ignore those who have acquired it in favour of somebody who hasn't played it at all. Uh, however, obviously you disagree because you picked the team. So you, you tell me why that's wrong. I don't think England are in any position that they can not pick a bloke who scored two test hundreds in his last four games. Uh, the first of those test hundreds, uh, he'd played what one test prior to that, but he hadn't played much Red Bull cricket for a long time before that. So, so there is evidence to suggest that Bairstow can come in relatively cold and score runs. There is an issue at play, certainly, of like rewarding someone who hasn't been around at all. And the, the, folks has been scoring runs in county cricket. It is that's part. That's part of my and, and I, I do understand that absolutely. But I'm looking at England's problems previously, and I'm looking at the bowlers that I've selected, and I just need the player who I think is going to score most runs at seven. And for me, that is Bairstow. And I don't think folks is keeping, whilst it is definitely better, is so signif- significantly better that it sways it that way. I'm. I'm not that fussed about that angle. I'm, I am. I can. I understand the issue of not having played county cricket and being 
jetted straight in. But all the noises that Stokes has made as well, I'm just picking my best 11. I'm just picking my best side. And I wouldn't be at all surprised, even if Besto has not faced a red ball before that first test, which, you know, well, that is what's going to be the case if, if he does get picked. I still think he might well go with him because I think, I just think England are more likely to win test matches with Besto at seven than folks at seven. And, and, and you know that I think that too. Um, <laughs> yeah. And indeed, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. I think it might have been you that actually Persuaded changed you. my mind and now you've gone back. <laughs> so, you want, you, so you'd have Besto in the side as soon as he's played a game or two, basically? Um, When's that going to happen? Form, form dependent. Form dependent, but yeah. Where is uh, the white ball summer mm. by that stage, aren't we? Um, I, I think if you're, if you're looking at 10 test matches, who, who, who's your keeper bat at seven, you know, given a fair wind, then I'd fancy that Bairstow would catch just about as many balls as folks uh, and score more runs than folks in all conditions. That's my feeling. I think that that's the best use of Bairstow. Um, if Butler's not going to be in the side, then that's how I would be tempted to use him. Uh, but it's not a fair wind as it stands. Uh, folks have started the season well. I, I understand that Stokes will be saying, I just want my best team. But can, I can't say with any, any assurance that Bairstow makes the best team when he's, he's been in the IPL, not scoring runs in the IPL, by the way. He's, so he's not in form. He's made 150 in about seven or eight knocks. Uh, in, a, in a team that's not gone great and he's, he's been struggling. So I, I don't think there's any guarantee. This is not purely a moral question. This is, this is also based on everybody knows that unless you're Rohit Sharma, it is difficult. It's difficult he's to move. No, he's having a difficult IPL as well. Right. <laughs> well, probably because he's a test player. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's a big, big ask, whoever you are. If you're Bradman, it's a big ask. If you're sober, it's a big ask to just jump off the plane and then revert back to Red Bull cricket against a very, very good side in early season conditions. So, so it's a two-pronged argument for me. That's why Folks gets the gig for, for the, the start of this series. Um, I hope Folks doesn't nail it down. You know, I, I like the aesthetic of Folks being a, a top-class number seven keeper bat. And then Bairstow can come in as, a, as an argue, argument for, for number five, for sure. But at the minute, no, you, not for me. You cannot play the thing until the very, very last second and then Chris Gale it and then just stroll back in to, to a Lord's Test match. I just don't, I'm, I'm not having that personally. Oh, I just think the Stokes and Bairstow bat so well together as well. I think that, that six and seven, I think that could be really, mm. really exciting. Yeah. Now, now we know that Stokes Who, is coming six. So same bowlers, Robinson, Mahmood, Anderson, Parkinson, Broad. Just, I just want to say on Parkinson versus Leach, I know we're all team Parkinson here, but I think part of it for me is that Parkinson's contributing pretty much every time he bowls for Lancashire. And Leach hasn't done great this season. He's, he's bowled 54 overs, got three wickets at 42. We'll see how the, what the side balance is. And I know that Parkinson's not a great bat, but, 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 but Leach is, is no more than a number 10 as well. And I think if you've got four bowlers, you don't need a spinner who's better at containing. You want a, a, someone who goes out there, kind of like what Adil Rashid did in 2018. I think Parkinson's your man to do that. He's yeah, got look, also more experience of... Maybe not more experience over his whole career, but more recent experience of of bowling on really flat wickets, expect to take wickets th- throughout the four days than Leach does. Um, so I think on, I've watched. On many I've levels. watched quite. Yeah, hundred percent. I've watched quite a lot of of Jack Leach this year, and obviously Somerset played here, uh, and it's confirmed again what what he offers, especially at this time of year, especially on these kinds of decks. Uh, if you have a combination of these bowlers that we've mentioned, you know, who, if you have a combination of Robinson, Anderson, Broad, plus a quick, 
possibly an Overton in there. Then they are all back of a length, two and a half and over type bowlers. Stokes might come in there and try and force the issue a little bit. To have another containing, um, functional, cement mixer style bowler, that would just be madness to me. Mm. No, I agree. I agree. Um, Top seven, I've gone Lees and Sibley up top. Crawley at three, despite what I said on last week's show. Crawley's actually got a pretty good record at three, but I've got him in at three, partly because I wasn't really sure who else there was. I'm, I'm not yet sold on Bohannon. Uh, go back to it. He's only scored four first-class hundreds. He's 25. I think that's that's, he, that's a risk. He's the biggest punt in my 11. He was the he was the last person to pick. And the, the reason really is because he's used to batting three, and that that is that feels more and more like a specialist position when you look at the the stroke makers that fill the middle order. You know, it would be tempting to throw in right. Well, Ollie Pope, for instance, I think Ollie Pope should be batting three for Surrey. Uh, I think he's, he just scores runs with funds in county cricket. I, I think he should make it. Not only more challenging for himself to get him ready for test cricket, but also that, I think, is the position where he can be most valuable to England going forward. I think an Ollie Pope in form has the game for that role. The, in, yeah. in his absence, well, not in his absence, I, if he's not going to bat three for Surrey, I don't want to push him up for five for Surrey to bat him three in test cricket when he hasn't nailed test cricket by any means over the last I've, year. I've picked him at five ahead of Brook. Okay. Very, very close, but kind of want Brook to just do it for a little bit longer. Um, he's done brilliantly so far this season, definitely but he has probably batted against the three weakest attacks in Division 1 in the first three games. Um, and that Essex game was extremely high scoring. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I want to see Pope get one more go now, I think. But is this not the best? When is there a better time to pick Brooke? And to be honest, I'm kind of parroting what you said a, a few weeks yeah. back, that he's not, given his how good he is at white ball cricket, he's probably not going to get this this extended run of red ball cricket at the start of the summer in, in future years. This is the regeneration of a new side. He's a hugely exciting young cricketer. He fits the bill entirely for what Stokes has been talking about. If we don't pick him now, then I'm not really sure there's going to be a better time to bring him in than at the start of the home summer. Um, I know what you're saying about the attacks, but it's the manner he's dealt with those attacks. I mean, he's, he's, his strike rate. I mean, one concern is that he's playing so fluently. Will he be able to rein it in and play in a different manner? But there was, he got a big... Got 150, 160 off about 230 balls or something like that. So he's not just come out and, and whacked it. He, ha- he has shown that adaptability. Um, I think he's, he's one of those kind of rare occasions where his form is so good. I think you have to pick him. Yeah, I, I don't, don't really disagree with that. I just, I, I guess it's more that uh, I look at Pope and think he should have cracked test cricket. It's not quite working. I really want to know that it's not going to work for the time being before that decision is made. But I think what we all agree on, which I, I don't think will actually happen, is that one of Folks and Besto won't play. I, th- I think they will pick both of them with Besto at five, probably with, with Folks with the gloves, is what I'd probably predict. I've just gone Besto. Besto, for me, definitely should, would be in the team if he's played lots of cricket. Um, but I completely get your point, but I've still, I've still kept him in there. Um, well, one we haven't really mentioned is Milan, who was yeah. Who, who Butch does mention it, by the way. Does he? Yeah, yeah. He, he's who Butch okay, so the team. I really am denied on that one, and I think just just for the sense of the wanting to see, wanting to see it, wanting the wanting that sort of shock of the new of having the two most interesting young county batters in there at three and five in Bahannon and Brook. But you know, if 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 I had to pick this team, I would probably pick Milan at three. Uh, 
who's started the season very well. He was unlucky to miss out on the West Indies tour. Now, admittedly, he fell away in Australia, but again, there was there was this off the field stuff that he was having to com- to deal with as well. He started very well again for Yorkshire. He's a he's a prolific. He's a machine at county level. Um, Although again, he's not batting three, and I'm not saying that should, means he shouldn't bat three in Test cricket. But George Hill's been batting three. Milan's been coming four, even five when Root was playing last time. I would like to see more of these Test aspirant players or, or guys who want to try and get back in, and are the option at number three because you know Root's batting four, Stokes batting six. You're looking at three or five. If you're an option for number three, I think you should bat number three for your county. Yeah, I, I hear that. But he, I would just say in Milan's case, he's 34-5. He's been around the block. He's played a lot of cricket at three. This time last year, he was making runs for fun at three. Came back into the England side at three. Did okay at three. Did well at three, really, for, for the first three or four test matches. Uh, and looked like he had the tempo to to play that role. I understand ideally you'd have your, your right people in your right places. I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not so fussed about Milan batting three or four. It's just, it just struck me that, you know, if that's the position you want to bat, I would, and I'm saying this more from Pope, especially Amler's not looking a great touch at all for, for Surrey. But I think, I think Brooke is, Brooke, it's, it's a case that is inarguable now, I think. Uh, as Joe says, when you have a player that is, that is that sparkling, and it's not just that he's had a good month, he had a good year. He had a really good year last year. He's had a good winter. They clearly like him, and he fulfills the, the the components of what Stokes is looking for. And he's averaging literally 158 or whatever it is with 300s in four games. Uh, now has to be the time at the start of this new cycle to have a look at the kid. It doesn't mean that that Pope doesn't Pope will play a lot a lot of Test matches for England again for sure. But for me at the moment. Um, Brooke is a stick-on in that middle order. And, and you, you, fit, you fit one or two others around that. Billy asks, what represents genuine success for the England Test side over the summer? Uh, a win? So it's, yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing, yeah, win a match. That'd be a good start. It's a really good and difficult question to answer yeah. because the, the challenges are arriving are going to be really difficult they'd be really difficult if England had good form going into this summer um you know I think they should still South Africa have been resurgent recently but that is still you look on the 11 it is still not a, a great South African side England should be beating South Africa on home soil really so I think a win over South Africa and they should really be beating this New Zealand side as well uh, if if England, they can take a one-one against New Zealand and shake hands on that. If they don't beat South Africa, it's, it's poor form. This South African side is it's a decent. They just beat India. It's a, good, it's a good side. Yeah, they drew in New it's, Zealand. It's, it's sprightly, and they always find players, and they always maintain a bit of spirit. Harmer will be playing, you assume, although he can't buy a wicket, as I said earlier. Uh, Keegan Peterson is. You know, playing at Durham at three, he's come through. There are players there in South Africa, but still, this is nowhere near the side of the past. England have lost one series at home in the best part of a decade. This or is whatever it. This it is. is what we've got to remember. You and that was a two-test series last year, and they were even up in that game against against New Zealand. They were they were up in that Edgbaston game until they, they got blown away on the third afternoon. And there's, this, what is it, eight years, nine years, the one series they've lost at home. So if they go in there and they lose either of these series, then it's, it's, a, it's a bad summer. And for some of that period, they were a very, very good side. For a lot of that 
period, they weren't that good and they still managed to win at home. So, so this is what England need to get back to. We're not expecting them to go abroad and beat you know, Pakistan in October. The expectations will be completely different, but we have to get back to a point where the England test team wins basically a series when they play at home. Mm. Moving on to the IPL. Uh, the two new sides, Look Now Super Giants and the Gujarat Titans are currently top of the table with eight wins each from 11 games. Uh, Daniel Sams defended nine from the final over of Mumbai's game against Gujarat with David Miller, Rahul Tawati and Rashid Khan at the crease. He conceded just three to win the game for Mumbai. Uh, that was only Mumbai's second win in the tournament. They're two from 11. Uh, Bester has found some form. He hit his first 50 in the competition the other day, having returned to the top of the order for Punjab. But the standout moment for me was that Umran Malik clocks 97.5 miles per hour, which they don't have publicly available data for every IPL season but for all the seasons that they do that goes back to I think 2010 or 2011 that is the fastest ball ever bowled in the IPL yeah that's proper wheels (laughs) you you, you mentioned Mumbai Uh, still though I saw the game yesterday against KKR uh, and it's miserable to watch them. I well, mean, Bumrah took five for oh, ten. Okay, and yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say. Actually, other but, than that, Bum- yeah, Bumrah was yeah. was phenomenal, and yet they still got 165 odd KKR, and Bumrah took five for ten in five, in four overs, uh, and and then they were all out for 100 and something, 110, 112, something like that. And again, I said it a few weeks ago. The the motif of the IPL for this year is Kyron Pollard being unable to hit it off the square, going at a run of ball. Uh, and it's, it was quite agonising to watch them again, really. The Fairbreak Invitational kicked off last week. There have been some amazing moments that you might have seen on social media. I spoke to Georgie Heath, who's out there at the moment, about some of those moments and the tournament in general so far. At the time of recording, we are nine matches into the Fairbreak Invitational out in Dubai. We're joined once more by Georgie Heath, who's out there. How has it gone so far? I think as much as I was mega excited beforehand, it's kind of gone beyond any expectations even I had. Uh, the reach it seems to be having, the stories that are coming out of it, the cricket performances. We've had, we had 100 in the first game. We've had a fiver in the most recent game. We've had players from Associate Nations going viral with celebrations. We've had forfers from Japanese cricketers. Honestly, you can't, it's the kind of stuff you can't write. And I feel like this is the sort of tournament that is only going to bring those kind of stories and it's just incredible to be a part of it really I think mm. uh, I mean you said last time that part of the tournament's charm and you said there again would be seeing players from Associate, Associate Nations rub shoulders and hold their own against players from you know, England Australia South Africa and that's happened there in some amazing moments 40 um, year old Japan bowler Shizuka Miyagi took a four for uh, my favourite moment of the tournament and I think a lot of others as well would be uh, Rwanda's Henriette's Ishimwe taking uh, clean bowling Australia World Cup winner Nicola Carey. She's just 19. Um, so it's, that's happened. What other moments have stood out for you and other players from Associate Nations have stood out for you? Oh, you can't really look past Winnie Durasingham playing for the Tornadoes from Malaysia. And she's just one of those people. She's just such a, a beautiful being as well. And the kind of person you'd almost find, even if you were playing against her, you want her to do well because she's just that kind of person. And when she got her three for 24 the other day, um, you could hear everyone just chanting, watch for Winnie, because they get their Apple Watch as the um, player of the match award. And she's just one of those people. She just dedicates herself so much. But how much do you ever hear about Malaysian cricket? And she's just such a character. And she's really sort of coming into her own. But then there's people who are 
you know, they're there and you haven't really noticed. So we saw in the last Barmy Army game, obviously you've got big name Deandra Dotton, world boss, absolutely bish bash botting it. Kavisha at the other end, UAE player, she was more than up to the challenge of Dotton and she was out hitting her at some times. And that's the kind of thing you would never, you'd never even know what kind of sixes she can hit, what kind of player she is. And they're there on an even keel. And it was just amazing to see. So what do you think happens next to a player like Ishimwe in that uh, this is an amazing opportunity to show how she can do against some of the best players in the world, but there aren't enough tournaments out there like this. Um, if she goes back to playing for only Rwanda, Rwanda are quite a long way from qualifying for an ICC World Cup. A lot of, a lot of criticism of ICC men's World Cups not being big enough. ICC women's World Cups are often even smaller. So what, what happens next for, 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 the, for these players? Because as amazing as this tournament is, there aren't, many, there aren't any tournaments like it. Yeah, I think that is very difficult because obviously this is giving them that coverage and that, you know, bringing it to the world. And I think that is the part of it. You know, it, it is being streamed in so many places for free and those nations are seeing it. So it's about develop, like building on that story. She's one player and then you've got to look ahead to the next fair break all fingers crossed, but, you know, I'm very confident, if I'm honest, that there will be another because this success has already been. So it's building on the next one and having two Rwandans or three or four in the next. And, you know, we say it so often, see it to be it. And that's the kind of thing. We can, they can see Rwandan female cricketers doing what she's doing and igniting a tournament like this. That's the kind of thing that you can't ignore as part of a, a cricket organisation in her country. And it's bringing in the money, bringing in the coverage to give her that ability to grow as a player, but also nurturing others to get to that position. How are the, how are the players finding it, both, both those from the associate nations and those from the, 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 the bigger nations in inverted commas? I think they're absolutely loving it. What's really great is that, you know, beforehand people are like, the associate nation players, and I really hate that sometimes people sounded a bit patronising. It's like, can learn from the big name, which is what we say, and that's, you know, we've got World Cup winners. You can't deny that. We've got World Cup winning captains playing, but... They're all learning from each other in opposite ways, you know. I, there are some people who've come through and they've, we've got um, Anju Gurung. She, during the pandemic, was training in the streets in Bhutan, you know. And that's the kind of thing you think, it's their commitment that the bigger players see, you know, we've been handed a lot of things on a plate. They really are starting to appreciate the game more. And also almost finding that sort of raw love for it that they've always had, rather than just being in this intense situation like some of them have come off the back of the world cup you know so intense only your team all about that and i think they're rediscovering their love for the game of cricket and perhaps picking up different things that they might not have thought of because it's not traditional cricket to them mm. but then obviously you've got the associate nations who are looking players from there looking at the world cup winners this that and the other and then learning from them as well so they're all just bouncing off each other and it's really nice it's got such a nice energy around it and even around the hotel players from different nations, different teams, you know. You've got some players who are 18, 19, and then you've got 34, 35, 40-year-old Japanese players, and they're all just living life together. And it's, yeah, it's so nice to see. Mm, you mentioned a few names there. Are there any other players who stood out for you? You know what? There are certain players who aren't necessarily associate players that you can't ignore. We can't not talk about Ayabonga Kaka's five for the other day. That was just... That was pace bowling at some of its finest. And you would see that you'd be impressed by that at a World Cup, you'd be impressed by that anywhere. So that was world-class, world-class level um, cricket there. And, but then we've got youngsters coming through, you know, we've got the likes of 
Jade Allen, she's only 19, from Australia. She played her first game the other day. It was great there. Gabby Lewis, coming over, looking here from Ireland. Her and Elise Villani had that insane opening stand. Um, yeah, and it's just, you've got um, Moogle from UAE. She's really solid in those middle overs. And that's the kind of person who doesn't get that coverage that, it, you know, it's not the glittering wickets at every other ball, but she's there and thereabouts. Carrie Chan from Hong Kong, such a personality on and off the field. She was, it was definitely, she was on, almost on with the belly dancers yesterday. She's that kind of person, but she brings that energy to the field and that's what you want as well. So yeah, it's just a bit of everything really. Don't know. And then you can't ignore the celebrations that have been going on everywhere. We've had the pushbar, we've got tornadoes. Diana Baig is loving her tornado celebration. The Barmies were doing the dancing. Yeah, it's all going. We've got a falcon somewhere. <laughs> how, how does the format work? Because I think we're at exactly halfway through the group stage at the moment. Everyone's played three matches, uh, so just after halfway. Uh, so yeah, how, how does the format work? Yeah, so each team plays each other once. Um, and then there's obviously the bonus point involved in the run scoring in the first 10 overs. So there's a maximum of four points per game you can get. So that will be, you know, that should come into play um, when it looks later. And like, if it's not just outright straight to the semis, whatever. And then we'll have two semifinals. Um, and then there's the final and third place playoff on Sunday the 15th. What have you made of the, of the bonus points? It's not something we often see in T20 tournaments, but I kind of think that when you look at a table in T20 cricket and teams have played play three games, they've won two games, lost one, and they're all on the same number of points. And the thing that's distinguishing them is net run rate that you, you know roughly how it works, but you don't know exactly, you know, you can't, you can't, can't get your head around exactly how it works. But how, how do you think that the bonus points have worked? You know what, if it comes to simplifying maths, I am all for it. I'm not about that run rate life. There's far too many confusing decimals for me. So I think it's great. And also it adds a kind of extra little something, something, whether they're going to think, okay, you know, is this game away from us? And are we just going to go for that extra point? We know we're going to lose, but we're still going to get a point out of it. Mm. Like, you know, when you were really young and you played tournaments, whatever, and it was like, if you get half their runs, you get an extra point just because, you know. But I think it works really well because it does add a little thinking about it and we were watching the other day and we were like are they just going to start really hitting at this point or are they going to try and do the run chase but the run chase was out of their grasp really so yeah it's nice because it adds a little extra thing there and then looking later to the semis it's like right actually we really were quite tactical and clever with that we knew we'd lost it we got that point in the bag that was good work from us in those 10 overs there so it's very, I think it's a really good addition to it actually that's Although right. I get very confused when people are figuring out the, how many runs it is. I just wait for someone to tell me. Yeah, I mean, look, look at the table now. You've got, you got four teams who have played 3-1-2. And quite often I think that playing for net run rate can actually lead to some really, really boring cricket. One team is miles ahead in the game. The other team is just trying to not get absolutely smashed. And that's not yeah. really that entertaining. Um, so, yeah, I, I've actually really liked it. And we'll be interested to see if, if more tournaments take fair breaks lead and implement a similar system. Well, Georgie, once more, thanks for your time. Um, it, it sounds amazing. We're very jealous. Um, well, I hope, you, I hope everyone's enjoying it back in England as well. And you, you enjoy my dulcet tones. I like to whip a dad joke in there every so often as well. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time, Georgie, and see you soon. One question to finish off the show. Alec asks, a slightly silly one for me this week. We all love cricket, but what in the game don't you give a toss about? For me, 
It's the six distance measurement. The RPL commentators are obsessed with this and ram it down your throat every time. They even have a bigger six of the year table. It doesn't matter. I literally don't care if it's been hit 65 metres or 115 metres. It's still six runs. You don't get any more runs for it, so I just don't care. There are enough important stats and numbers in the game. We don't need irrelevant ones. Keep up the great work. Cheers, Alec. That's a, that's a great question. It's a very um, good point as well. I also think I've heard that those are quite unreliable, those stats. Blatantly. Blatantly. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely don't have a tape measure. Um, yeah, Joe, do you want to kick us off? Um, yeah, well, I've got a couple that I'm slightly wrapped and say because I feel like I'm going to get cancelled by various different people in different. But um, the first is the 2022 IPL. I just just hasn't got me this year. Too, the new teams threw me to start with. Um, too many players shifting sides. Too much other cricket. Just completely passed me by. And I'm aware that for a lot of people it matters quite a lot. So I'm not saying it, it doesn't matter because it does. And you're specifically just, talking about this year's yeah, IPL I, rather than last year. I got really into it. The year before, I think, as well. well. The year before, there was literally no cricket on at all in a global pandemic. So <laughs> that might have had something you, to do You were with well it. into that one. <laughs> Last year's one as well, to be honest, as well, yeah. yeah. Anything else other than... Well, this one I think is going to upset people in this room uh, as much as people listening at home. Uh, I don't care what bats players use. I I, I used to as a kid. I'm not bothered now. Heresy! And when I hear these conversations now, I mean, probably less so. You and Ben aren't so much into that, are you? No, I'm not. I used to be massively so when I was a kid. So I I, yeah, you, I, I bought you, you I had Gunner Moors because of because Vaughan had a Gunner Moor and Triscothic had a Gunner Moor. Well, I but knew now this was so really yeah. Phil's obviously now denigrating me as a player well, because you, I've made no, made not denigrating as a player. You, you but care what what bats players have now? Well, I mean, not as much as I used to, but it's. Are so you excited about Pope's move from Gunner Moor to Grey Nichols? Is that? Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was because I thought, right, okay, here we go. He's really stepping up now. Oh, and but Burns is another Grey Nichols signing, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You also, Johnny Bairstow changed bat sponsors about six six times. Changed one a year, uh, which is always a sign of somebody who, with a keen interest. Can in you their name bank all balance. of them? I probably could actually. In fact, I was struck watching one yesterday because he was he was using a Grey Nichols power spot, an old school Grey Nichols power spot, in a game that I watched last night. My wife was out. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Lancashire Yorkshire from 2015 in a T20 knockout game or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Ollie Robinson was playing that game. They 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 showed this on Sky the other day. Ollie Robinson? Yeah, oh, he yeah, yeah he, he was. Yeah, yeah. He well, was. Matt he... Fisher was playing in it. This is, wow. what, this is what struck me. Yeah. 2015, Matt Fisher was playing. It was literally would have been what 17 or. But anyway, that, anyway, yeah. best I was using a Grain Nichols power spot at the time, cool. having just moved from Slazinger. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Now, of course, he's at Ton. <laughs> but he's he's had course. a few others. Well, yeah. that's, that's scandalous. Um, too. Phil, anything you don't care about? Joe, what don't I care about? Uh, Wicked keepers. Phil, yeah. doesn't care, Phil doesn't care about Wicked keepers. What do you, mean you don't care about Wicked keepers? I just, I just don't care about Wicked keepers. <laughs> what do you mean? I think it's because I don't understand what they do from a technical perspective, particularly. So I don't really, don't really, I'm not moved by wicket keepers. But I'm not especially so impressed by wicket well, keepers. Even even when they're standing up to a spinner and it's ragging. Well, I, I know that it's bad. good skills. You know, fair play to you. Fair yeah. play to you. But I guess it's because I've never done it, uh, so I've got no frame of reference. Yeah. And so, and also they're they're kind of often sort of crabby, perky characters concealing all kinds of, sort of peculiar self-doubt and so on, but that, you know, they have to maintain a sort of rhythm for the team. That irritates me as well. They're, they're kind of like the heartbeat of the team. That always gets on my nerves. Uh, yeah, I've got no interest in goalkeeping. I've got no interest <laughs> in, in wicket-keeping either. Anyone in gloves? Anyone in gloves, Gardeners? really. 
Well, I've actually recently acquired a garden and I've bought some gloves and I'm actually quite enjoying it. So maybe it's not just the, simply a glove thing. Joe. Maybe this is the start of an appreciation of glove work in general. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's cancelled me part one. What, what we got? What's next? Yeah, has you got anything? But you love it. You love it all. This is the thing. I, I don't care for, for sight screens. You get rid of sight screens. It really irritates me when a batsman asks to move the sight screen because I... I mean, you've, you've seen me bat. I'm not great. Uh, I've never noticed a sight screen when I'm batting. That's potentially where I'm going wrong. Um, but I just cannot believe that it, it makes a difference, particularly at recreational level, when There's the sight the... screens are tiny anyway. Yeah, I think right. it's one of those things, and maybe this is a more general irritation, so it's not quite a I don't care, is club cricketers... Um, like almost behaving like professionals, like yeah, like like come on, like yeah, the the bowling's fifty five miles per hour at best, like yeah, yeah. I hate second team fielding practice, sort of reluctant fielding practice beforehand. Totally indifferent to that. No need mm. for it. Um, uh, nets generally In, indoor what? indoor nets. Uh, indoor I, nets. Sorry, yeah. correction. Joe is right. Indoor nets awful, utterly soulless. Yeah, and no reflection of anything that's going to happen on a field ever. Pretty much every. <laughs> Twitter culture war through the prism of some cricketing niche event. Can't stand it. Mancads, don't care one way or the other. Have your opinions. Fine, whatever. <laughs> don't care. Now we've got you going. You've got quite a few. Um, <laughs> discourse around the 100. You know, clearly it's not a binary issue, is it? <laughs> that. <laughs> um, when the ICC turn up at... Tor- at, at in England and they completely emblazon grounds just with their own advertisers that gets on my nerves yeah so that is something you give a toss about you've, you've oh yeah sorry <laughs> yeah you, we're asking for indifference <laughs> yeah, rather than yeah. anger isn't it yeah now you're just no, I'm not, things I'm not, that annoy you in cricket and the wider life yeah no, I'm gonna get going there all right, let's leave that alone. No, again, I was going to say cricketing poetry gets on my nerves. But it's not about what gets on my nerves. <laughs> Forget it. Oh, um, Ooh, anyway. I, th- I think that will do. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Joe. This has been the Wizarding Cricket Weekly Podcast. Well done for getting to the end of the show. We'll be back next week. Podcast Network.